I would like for us to think about sin, about being dead to sin and being dead in sin. And there's a world of difference between the two. Every Christian is to be dead to sin. That is, he's to be separated from sin. But every lost person is dead in sin. When we turn to Ephesians 2 and verse 12, Paul is addressing the Gentile Christians in Ephesus, reminding them of the way they were before they became Christians. He said they were separated from Christ, they were without hope, and without God in this world. They were dead in their sins because they were separated from God. And there are a number of passages which bring this out. Isaiah 59, 1 and 2 says, Behold, the Lord's hand, or the hand of Jehovah, is not shortened that it cannot save, neither his ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and his sins have hid his face from you, so that he will not hear. So there's a great difference between being dead to sin and being dead in sin. And those dead to sin, to sin, are alive in Jesus Christ. Jonathan read for us from Romans chapter 6, verse 11 said, Even so reckon ye also yourselves to be dead unto sin. This is addressed to Christians. But alive unto God in Christ Jesus. But those who are dead in sin, for many of them, not everybody, their lives are bent only on pleasure. And Paul refers to this in 1 Timothy 5 and verse 6 when he writes, But she that giveth herself to pleasure is dead while she liveth. She's dead spiritually while physically she is alive. So there are there are others who are dead in sin who may not be pursuing worldly pleasure but have not been taught how to be free from their sins. Romans 3.23 tells us that we all sin and fall short of the glory of God. So when we reach that age of accountability, God says you're in sin. Spiritual death is brought about by sin. Another scripture is Ezekiel 18 and 20. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. And Romans 6, 23 tells us that the wages of sin is death. Let's take Adam and Eve as an example. When we turn to Genesis 2, verses 16 and 17, God said that of all the trees in the garden they could approach them. They could eat from them. But one tree in the midst of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of evil, they shall not eat thereof. For in the day thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. In the day they ate, they died. Not physically. The Bible tells us that Adam lived 930 years. But on that day, he died being separated from God. He died spiritually as well as Eve. They learned what it meant to die spiritually. 
For one thing, they were ashamed. They tried to hide from God, tried to make uh, clothing out of fig uh, leaves. They were cast out of the garden, and each received a curse from God. They lost their close fellowship with God, which they had before they sinned. There are many people who are not conscious of their lost condition because of their sins. They do not feel any burden for their sins. An Indian evangelist was preaching about sin. And about the sin of burden, the burden of sin. There was a young man, a flippant young man, who interrupted the preacher and he said, You talk about the burden of sin. I feel no burden. How heavy is it? 80 pounds? 10 pounds? Well, the evangelist answered his question. He said, Tell me, if you laid a 400 pound weight on a corpse, Would it fill the load? And the young man said, why no, because it's dead. And the preacher's answer was, that spirit too is dead which feels no load of sin. The spiritually dead feel no load of sin. Now, if and when they should start feeling that load of sin, that will be the time that they will try to do something about their sins. And whether the sinner is conscious of his sins or not, God is. We turn to Hebrews 4 and verse 13. We read there, And there is no creature that is not made manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and laid open before the eyes of him, with whom we have to do. In ancient times, when the Grecians worshipped images of their gods, it was said that when spiders stretched their webs across the eyelids of the, the image of Jupiter, the people were regular in their attendance to worship him. They liked to feel that the spider's webs prevented Jupiter from seeing their sins. And so in their feeble way, no doubt they were grateful for the insects covering the eyes of a god who they thought would punish them for their sins if they could but see their sins. The Jehovah God before whom there is no creature that is not manifest in his sight. And we should know that there's nothing to be gained by remaining dead in sin. Maybe you say, well, the pleasures of sin, but that's only for a season. That means temporarily. What did Jesus say in Matthew 16 and 26? For what shall a man be profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? There's everything to pay if one remains dead in his sins. 
Revelation 20 and verse 15 tells us, And if any man was not found written in the book of life, he was cast into the lake of fire and will suffer there eternally. We should know that sin will cost us more than we ever wanted to pay. It will take us further than we ever wanted to go. And it will keep us longer than we ever wanted to stay. But there is hope for the lost in sin. Remember Paul writing to the Ephesians, chapter 2 and verse 1. He said, you did he make alive when you were dead in your trespasses and sins. They were dead, but Christ, God, made them alive so that they received forgiveness of their sins and could be alive in Christ. The sinner needs God, and he needs his forgiveness. Sinfulness is no reason to keep away from God. Because we all know we're going to stand before God in judgment. Nobody's going to miss the judgment day. And we're all going to give an account for what we've done in the body, whether it's good or evil. And if we want to avoid hell and go to heaven, we must have our sins forgiven before we die. One must become dead to sin. What all is involved in becoming dead to sin? Three things. There are three stages. One is we must be dead to the love of sin. Second, we must be dead to the practice of sin. And third, we must be dead to the guilt of sin. It takes all three. Let me illustrate this with the principle of a man buying on credit. He uses his credit card, and one month he just splurges. At the end of the month, he gets his bill, he owes $5,000. Now, that may seem strange, but I read where people do this quite often. They go spurging with the credit card. A little late, this man decides that credit buying is no good. <laughs> so wisely, he becomes dead, one, to the love of credit, and decides to make only cash purchases. And thus, he becomes, two, dead to the practice of credit. But until he pays his old debt of $5,000, he's not free from the debt, and he's not dead to the guilt of his credit. Now let's use this illustration to look at our sin problem. Three stages. One is, first, we must be dead to the love of sin. 1 Peter 2.24 says, referring to Christ, who his own self bear our sins in his body on the tree, that we having, notice, that we having died to sins might live under righteousness by whose stripes we are healed. Just as a man buying on credit decides that credit buying is no good, and thus he becomes dead to the love of credit. 
So the sinner must decide that a life of sin is no good and decides to become dead to the love of sin. And to die to the love of sin, we must see the repulsiveness of a life of sin and turn our affections in another direction and keep it looking in another direction and become dead to the love of sin. Faith, it is, that makes us dead to the love of sin. Let's use Moses as an example. When we turn to Hebrews 11, 24 and 25, it says, By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Moses, by faith, he's our example. He changed the directions of his affections from Egypt, the palace, all the pleasures there, heavenward to God. Moses even suffered ill treatment, then enjoyed the pleasures of sin. When they were having this, we'll call it a conference, in Jerusalem, Acts 15, because there were Judaizers who thought the Gentiles must be circumcised and keep the Mosaical law to be a Christian. Well, Peter, who was instrumental, God used him to preach to Cornelius, the first Gentile and his family. He makes a statement in verse uh, 9, and God made no distinction between us and them. That is, between us Jews and those Gentiles. God made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. That's what we're talking about. Faith. Actually, in the Greek, there's a the faith. Doesn't come out in the English version, or at least in most of them. Cleansing their hearts by the faith, and that's the gospel. He's talking about the whole obedience to the gospel, but it begins with faith in God and in Jesus Christ as his son. So to be dead to the love of sin, we must detest the defilement of sin so much we would rather suffer than commit sin. It may be hard to detest that which gives pleasure. But we need to remember it's only for a season, and that means a short period of time, and it does not please God. But Moses did it. Jesus did it. Paul did it. In 1 Corinthians 9, 27, Paul wrote, I buffet my body, and I bring it into bondage. He makes a slave out of his own body. Lest by any means, after that I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway or rejected. Let's suppose that a man comes to a table to eat. And he's told that the knife lying there by the plate is the knife that cut the throat of his child. Now, if he could now use that knife as any other knife, would not one say, surely there was but little love for his child? 
So when there is a temptation to any sin, this is the knife that cut the throat of Christ. This is the knife that pierced his side. This was the knife that caused all of his sufferings and on the cross. This is the knife that made Jesus Christ a curse. Now, must we not look on that as a cursed thing that made Jesus Christ to be a curse? With what detestation would a man or a woman fling away such a knife that he killed their own child? And with like detestation, it is required that a man should renounce sin. For sin, and only sin, was the cause of the death of Jesus. Now, let's look after the love, I mean, at the, the death of the love of sin. Let's look at being dead to the practice of sin. And we'll go back to our man with the credit card. And just as the man who became dead to the love of credit and thus stopped buying on credit to be dead to the practice of credit, so must one who by faith becomes dead to the love of sin must stop sinning to be dead to the practice of sin. When Martin Luther was still in the Catholic Church, a priest, there were occasions when he went into the confessional box to take the confessions of the Catholics. Better come and confess their sins. One day, while seated in the confessional box, you know, the priest would sit on one side, the confessional would sit on the other, and there'd be a, a wall between the two. They could hear one another, but they couldn't see one another. And so one day when Luther was in this confessional box, Many of the townspeople came confessing their sins. Guilty of great sins, in fact. Some of them guilty of adultery, some licentiousness, others of ill-gotten gain and this and that. Luther reprimanded them. He corrected them. He instructed them. But he was astonished. When these individuals say they would not abandon their sins. And greatly shocked, Luther tells those people that since they will not change their lives, he cannot absolve them. He cannot forgive them. And then when they became unhappy, they appealed to their letters of indulgence. They had letters of indulgence from the Catholic Church. Luther replied he had nothing to do with those papers, but he quoted Jesus from Luke 13 and 3, except ye repent, ye shall all in like manner perish. They would protest, but Luther was immovable. They must cease to do evil, that is, they must cease their sinning, and learn to do right, or else there was no absolution. Well, isn't that what the Bible tells us further? Proverbs 28 and verse 13. He that covereth his transgressions. Now, it means hides them. 
he that covers or hides his transgressions shall not prosper. But whoso confesseth and forsaketh. See, these people came confessing, but they weren't forsaking their sins. Takes both. But he that confesseth and forsaketh them shall obtain mercy. Let me read from Colossians chapter 3. And I'll start with verse 5. King James says, uh, to mortify your members which are upon the earth. My version says, put to death. And that's the, that's the idea, is it not? Of mortify. We have morticians. Uh, mortician. Uh, well, there are different words. <laughs> Come from this word mort, which means dead. So mortify, put to death the members, your members upon the earth. Put to death, therefore, your members which are upon the earth. And here are a number of them. Fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry, for which things sake cometh the wrath of God upon the sons of disobedience, wherein also you once walked when you lived in these things. But now do you put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, railing, shameful speaking out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that you have put off the old man with his doings and have put on the new man that is being renewed under knowledge after the image of him that created him. Mortify, put to death, all of your sins. Romans 6, 1 and 2. Jonathan read the first two verses. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? I mean, that's ridiculous, Paul thought. He said, God forbid. How shall we who died to sin live any longer therein? I mean, when we think about it, we die to sin. That's our expression. Are we dead in sin? Or are we dead to sin? Paul said if we died to sin, how can we live any longer therein? Revelation 1 and 5 refers to Christ unto him that loveth us and loosed us from our sins by his blood. Jesus loosed us from our sins by his blood. The whole picture includes forsaking sins. We're not to love sin anymore. We're not to practice sin anymore. There were some sailors who had a shore leave. They got in their little boat, went to shore, tied the boat to the wharf. They got drunk. And then they found out it was late. It was getting dark. They tried to return to their ship that was anchored there out in the harbor. They got into their little boat, drew out the oars, but they seemed to make no progress. They rowed and they rowed and they rowed, but their home ship did not appear out there. At last, the soberest of these sailors discovered that they had never loosened the boat's ropes from the wharf. What Jesus asked of his disciples is that they should not only row, 
but cut loose from their sin. We, don't want, we want to be dead to the love of sin. We want to be dead to the practice of sin. We need to be dead to the guilt of sin. And that's our third point. Dead to the guilt of sin. Just as a man who charged $5,000 with his credit card became, later, became dead to the love of credit, then he became dead to the practice of credit. He still had a debt of $5,000 that he owed. So before he became dead to the guilt of that credit, that debt, he had to pay it. So must one who becomes dead to the love of sin and repents to become dead to the practice of sin, he must also do something to become dead to the guilt of sin. The credit man still owed $5,000. And in like manner, the penitent believer is still guilty of his sins. Now, a lot of people tell you, when you repent and believe, you're free from all your sins, but that is not Bible. That's not what the Bible teaches. Faith and repentance will not remove one sin by itself. It won't do it. It will not remove the guilt of sin any more than not liking credit, paying cash for the rest of your purchase will not free you from the debt, the old debt incurred by the credit. It takes baptism in addition to the faith and the repentance. Baptism makes one dead to the guilt of sin. And that's what we need is freedom from the guilt. Acts 2.38, Peter said, Repent ye and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Acts 22 and 16, And now why tarryest thou? Ananias said to Paul, Arise and be baptized, washing away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. And let me read for you Colossians 2, verses 12 and 13, which uses the expressions we're studying about, being dead in sin or being dead to sin. Having been buried with him in baptism, not sprinkled with him, but buried with him in baptism, wherein you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God, notice now, who raised him from the dead, and you, being dead through your trespasses, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, you, I say, did he make alive. Together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. Having forgiven us all our trespasses, they made us, we were made alive. Having made us dead to the guilt of our trespasses. Are you in your sins? Are you dead to your sins? Are you dead in your sins? When we reach God, still dead in our sins, that means we're separated from him and we will be eternally. But if we're dead to our sins, that means God's forgiven us. And we're not letting sin reign in our lives. It doesn't have dominion over our lives. We're made alive in Christ Jesus. 
We buried the old man. We're raised new men. And that's the way he wants us to live. And follow in his steps that'll take us to heaven. If you're not a child of God, if you've not obeyed the first principles of the gospel, you believe Jesus is the Son of God, that's good. Do you have such faith that you want to change your life and that involves repentance? Will you be willing to confess your faith in Jesus before men and women? Will you be buried, buried with him in water, baptism, for the purpose of having your sins forgiven? If you've not done all of that, we'd like to encourage you to do that today. And we stand ready to help in any way we can. If you have any other need that we can help with, we'll be glad to do that. So if you need to come, would you come as together we stand and sing?